Welcome to Get a Grip with Shane Bacon, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, hey, welcome to Get a Grip. Uh, got a fun one today. Mr. Joe Buck joins the uh, show. Joe Buck has been a pal of mine basically since the 2015 season when I joined the Fox team. And uh, he's a person I look up to in a lot of different ways, not just professionally. And uh, he had a big career move. So wanted to get Joe on to talk a little bit about that. We dove into golf. He, of course, had the PGA Championship show as well with Michael Collins. So I asked him a little bit about that. Uh, before we get going, I have two things. Uh, one is, you know, I, I started a logo company just about a year ago with Kate Smith. It's called Ground Under Repair. And we're going to be doing some giveaways on social media soon. So I just wanted to let you know, make sure you're following that Instagram account. I think we've got some hats we're going to give away. We've got some teas, some other stuff as well. We're going to kind of round up some of the things we made. Um, and so give that a follow on Instagram at gur.design, grounded or repair design, gur.design. Give them a follow because, like I said, we're going to be giving some free stuff away in the next few weeks. And I don't want you to miss out on that. Um, and then second, obviously, a more serious thing is um, with the passing of Tom Weiskopf. I had a couple of time, Tom Weiskopf stories that I wanted to share um, because, you know, I, I always, again, looked up to Tom, um, got the chance to meet, meet him in, uh, in 2015 at that Chambers Bay U.S. Open when, you know, there were so many people involved in that broadcasting team. I was there doing digital broadcasting. He was obviously in a, in a bigger role, but a uh, super nice guy. I played with Tom for something back in my back nine network days. I think this was about 2014. TPC Scottsdale, they did a did a big renovation there. Uh, Tom was a big part of that. And so I was out there with Matt Chinella. He was doing something for Golf Channel. I was doing something for back nine network. And we played 18 holes with Tom Weisskopf. And uh, my dad was an enormous Tom Weisskopf fan. So he'd always tell stories when I was growing up about Tom and was really, really excited about the experience. And we're on the first tee at TPC Scottsdale. If you've ever been on a chance to play the stadium course there, the first hole's pretty unassuming. It's about a 430-yard par four. Uh, there's trouble on both sides of the fairway, so you'll see a lot of players you know, take three wood or even a hybrid, something like that, off the tee. And we had a big camera crew out there shooting the whole thing, and we were going to cut it into a big package and video series with Tom. And he hits driver on one. And uh, my, my videographer, who was all nervous, came up to me and he's like, hey, man, we missed that. Can you ask Tom to hit another one? And I was like, sure, I'm sure he doesn't care. I went over to him. I'm like, hey, Tom, do you mind hitting another tee shot? We didn't catch that. And he's like, yeah, no problem. And he pegs another one up, hits driver down the middle, and we get up there. And both balls were about a yard and a half away from each other in the dead center of the fairway. And for all the stories and the legend of the, the, the legendary ball striker that is Tom Weisskopf, to see that moment, you know, up close was this guy hit two drivers on the first hole, relatively tight hole, you know, for, for average players. I don't think Tom Weisskopf was nervous about missing the fairway, but to get up there and see those two golf balls a yard from each other was, uh, was just the legend that was Tom Weisskopf, right? I mean, that's who he was as a collegiate player and a professional and all that was this, you know, next level guy that could hit a golf ball with any club and make it do anything you wanted to. And I got to see it, uh, the very first two swings I'd ever seen in person of Mr. Weisskopf. And then my second story, was 2015 now I don't if you don't know much about my wife you probably don't not a big golfer not a big golf fan um, occasionally ask me golf questions that uh, makes me wonder if she pays attention to what we do in this world and uh, it's okay if she doesn't not her not her job to pay attention to golf but um, I was she came out to to chambers back in 2015 she came out for a few days to hang out over the weekend and she was flying out I believe it was either Sunday evening she was flying out and I was flying out Monday morning and I asked uh, uh, Sarita, who would 
do all of the things at Fox and beyond for us. I said, Sarita, can somebody get a ride for, for my wife out there? We'll get an Uber or whatever. And she's like, I got a car. Um, we'll get you set up. And again, my wife, not a golf person. And I got a text from her. Oh, my goodness. I had a lovely car ride with this great couple. So nice. They're from Ohio. My wife's from Ohio. Um, we talked for so long. And, you know, she was just glowing about this conversation and come to find out it was Tom Weiskopf and his wife. And I just laughed to myself that how many golf fans and how many sports people would have paid good money to be in a 30-minute cab ride with Tom Weiskopf and had no idea who he was and no idea what he did and just, you know, talked about how nice of a guy he and his wife were and and how great of people they were and how much fun she had. So uh, a couple of, of Mr. Weiskopf stories, of course, you know, it was bummed to hear about the passing of him, but uh, those all always stuck with me and I wanted to bring those up. I hope you guys are all having a great week and uh, let's get to Mr. Joe Buck. Hi, uh, Mr. Joe Buck. And uh, Joe, we were just chatting before we got going. Uh, I had to ring you because some of the technology wasn't working. And um, this was the first spam risk call you've ever answered in your life. I feel very honored by that. Well, I mean, had you not warned me that uh, that it was going to be a 602 number, and I don't <laughs> want to give too too much away, so that people could follow you to your to your lair in uh, in Arizona, uh, that then I would not have answered. So uh, yes, you are now officially a spam risk in my life. But uh, but here we are talking and. It's good to catch up with you. How are you, my buddy? Oh man, I'm good. Uh, I'm good. I'm, I'm I'm right in the middle of it, buddy. I uh, I know you just kind of got through that about a year ago or so, but uh, um, we're uh, we're three years old and five months old. So uh, oh. I mean, it is it is in the throes of the parenting thing. You're through it. The the boys are what? They're probably what four or five now. Yeah, they're uh, they're a little over four. They started full day school uh, two days ago, so I got my days back. Oh so, my gosh! I mean, it is like uh, it's it's a whole new world. It's uh, whatever that movie was, Fievel or whatever. It, it I, I just every morning I wake up and sing a whole new world because I, I actually have time to myself. I I don't even know what to do half the time which is really weird well the good news is is you've got a lot on your plate um what's this year been like in the world of joe buck you know i mean to go from basically the place in the business that you started and you know you went from you know your dad's son to the face of a network um to kind of open up and 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 throw yourself out there into a new endeavor what's the year been like has it been strange has it been fun has it been exciting it's been strange. I think strange is probably the best word. I mean, I'm 53, uh, which I'm sure sounds really old to you. It's the first time that I have not done baseball, a baseball game since I was 18. So my first year in Louisville, I was 19. My first year with the Cardinals, I was 21. And then Fox came along. I was 24 when I auditioned and 25 when I got the football job. And then I was doing the World Series at 27. And to have that entire chunk of my professional life gone, uh, just eliminated here in 2022, has been strange, but it's been great. I, I've been kind of preparing for that for a while. I told Fox, and, and people are probably tired of me talking about my career and, and my desires and all these different things, but I told them that I, 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 was, I was signed through a contract that, that took me through 2022, and that was going to be the end of my time doing baseball. I felt like you know, 35 years is long enough doing it. 36, it would have been. And uh, 
I, I was finished and it was time for somebody else to do it. And knowing that it's in good hands and knowing that life goes on at that network and uh, and for me personally has been uh, it's been part of uh, a growth spurt for me. I, I never thought I would be at ESPN. I never thought I'd be going through this growth spurt at this stage in my life, but it is, you know, it's, it's been, it's been pretty eye opening knowing that, uh, you know, Fox goes on without me and uh, I go on without Fox. And now with Monday night football about to start up, can't wait to get going. So, you know, I, I was thinking about your career. I was kind of trying to lay it out and, you know, you mentioned the baseball side of it and then you obviously got into football and you're eventually getting to that A booth in football, and you're doing Super Bowls. And then the golf thing came around. You know, 2014, 2015, golf comes around, and you had this whole new sport to dive into and to try to navigate and to figure out how to broadcast it properly and professionally and do what you do. Did you kind of need this? I mean, you know, you mentioned your age, and you mentioned how long you've been in this business, but was this important for you to give yourself kind of a career Red Bull or, or Monster Energy drink to – to kind of make sure that fire's still there. Yeah, yeah, I, and and you know I've talked about this before, but I mean you and I are friends, so you know me well enough. When we all, by the way, when we all gathered to do that first U.S. Open, um, you know I was I was intimidated for the first time in a long time at that point, and I was intimidated by trying to learn something that was really foreign to me of playing golf, as you know. But that doesn't mean that you know, you can broadcast it and it's, it's an entirely different way of, of doing an event than I'm used to with, with having my own eyes on what I'm calling instead of everybody else's eyes on it and, and calling it off monitors. And, and when I, when I showed up and I was in the trailer and I was around people like you who, who knew a hell of a lot more about, uh, about the actual tour players than I did, um, I, it was intimidating, but it was also invigorating. And I, I think uh, I'll draw on that a little bit starting this ESPN venture. But when I was basically begging Fox to let me out of the last year of my contract, uh, much like they did with the USGA now that I, feel, <laughs> now that I think about it, uh, I, I talked to my, my original mentor and boss and David Hill, who was still around when at least he was poking around when, when we started golf. Right. And, uh, and I talked to him and he said, when I kind of laid it all out, what was in front of me, he's like, you got to go, you, you got to get out of Fox and you have, and it was the, it was the opposite of what I thought he would say. I thought he would say, you know, you're, you're kind of born and bred at Fox and you've got a good thing going there. And why would you leave? And, and he said, you got to go. And, and that was kind of the, that was the straw that broke the camel's back and, and shoved me into like high gear of trying to make this happen. He said, you're going to be nervous before your first Monday night football game. And I'm already starting to feel that a little bit. You're going to, you're going to grow with different producers and, you know, you're going to adapt to what's around you and, and you'll be better for this. And I hadn't really thought about it in those terms prior to him saying that. And, uh, and once I, I, I took that in, and chewed on it, then, then I really went, you know, all out to try to make it happen because Troy left before me. So I, I joined him and, and it, it really wasn't on my radar at all to leave. Uh, but, but I'm, I'm really glad that, that Fox let me out. Maybe they're glad that, that they let me out. Maybe they're not. I have no idea. Uh, but I know personally it was the right move for me. 
Yeah, you know, the 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 Fox transition to ESPN, and I think this was one of the things when the rumors started swirling and I was listening to podcasts and obviously, you know, the the it's funny, right? There's like this media speculation now that almost feels you know, it's a lighter version of what we see around sports teams, but you know, you see the blogs and the rumor mills and now podcasts are talking, Oh, is this broadcaster going to go here? I can only imagine that's not something you expected to have happen in your life, you know, 15 or 20 years ago, but no, it, in your world in Fox, everybody would come there knowing you were in theory, the man, and you know, and that's been the case probably for the last 15 or 20 years at that network. What's it been like going to a place where there are other men and women that are at this level that is so high in terms of broadcast. You know, I think about people like Scott Van Pelt, and obviously you've got Stephen sure. A. Smith at ESPN. I mean, these these people that are so talented, you know, Linda Cohn that's been there for so long. What's that been like for you going into a place where I'm not going to say you have to win people over, but you're all of a sudden looking at peers in this industry that have been doing it for a long time, that have this incredible platform to do it on, and they're established at the network. What's that transition been like? Has it almost been – like going back to college as a 35-year-old, you know, when you're like, I'm going to get a new degree here. Yeah, it, it, it is exactly that. It is, you know, you're right. And and it's hard to say this without sounding like a complete uh, egomaniacal jerk. Well, we all but know you are, Joe, so what, it's fine. It's totally right, correct. fine. We're, we're all right. there. So that's yeah, understood. So now that that's understood. <laughs> uh, but when I would show up for seminars, you know, I, I had been on the lead team for so long. It's like, you know, where you sit in that room, not only where I sit on the pecking order with everybody else that's in that room, but even physically like up in front and, and with, you know, the, you know, Troy and football and Smoltz and baseball before him, McCarver in baseball forever. And, you know, I'm the one asking the questions and I'm the one that's kind of looked at to, to try to lead from the, play-by-play into things and you're right now I go to ESPN it's like where do I sit who are these people who do I you know what do they think of me do they do they know anything about me is it and I'll say this on on a smaller scale you know when I started in this business a lot of people that I was working with had moved from CBS to Fox and therefore a lot of those people had worked with my dad at some point and I was never embarrassed or worried about what their experience was like working with my dad, because he was such a nice, normal, good person who treated everybody well. And, and my wife's been at ESPN for eight years. And I I feel like, you know, I've gotten to know some of the people through her and because of the way she treats people, I think that they know that she probably wouldn't have married a jerk. Um, And, and maybe I get a little bit of, of runway because of that with the new people that I'm working with, but yeah, I have to prove myself not just on the air to these people, uh, but I, I think even more so off the air, like, oh, he's a nice guy. Like, I, you know, I didn't know anything about him. I had a perception of him before he came here, and, and, and it was either right on or it was way off. So, yeah, I, I, I'm back in the back of the room now for the first time in a, in a long time, and, and it's like the first day of school. Uh, even before college, like in middle school, where you figure out where you sit, what lunch table you sit at, and who you're going to sit with. It's it's a weird phenomenon at 53. I'm going to ask you a question. I know you're going to say yes to this, but I'd like a, a little bit more expansion on it, if you don't mind. Do you still get nervous calling sports? Do, does Because like, I get nervous still. Do, do you still get nervous? Are you in the bo- booth, you know, kind of – 
all right, do I have everything right? Am I am I in the place I want to be in? Does that still happen to you? Um, yeah, for certain events, I think. Um, you know, I was not nervous doing a Saturday Fox game of the week in July from even Fenway Park or Yankee Stadium. It was like that's what I've done my whole life, and I I was just as comfortable saying what was running through my mind into a microphone as opposed to to a you know Smoltz getting ready for the game next to me so I I didn't feel that way but yeah I mean if you're getting ready for a game seven you want to get through the on camera you don't want to mess it up you want to get settled in to the game and get a nice rhythm going and and I'm sure it's no different you know on on some weird level uh, than it would be for a player you know like I you know, you like Brett Favre used to talk about, I want to get that first hit. And and when I get that first hit, then I'm good to go and I'm settled in and I, I know where I am. And so I, yeah, you want to get that first on camera out of the way and those, those nerves. And I find myself like after the on camera's done, I don't think I've ever said this publicly, but I'll, I'll go over, I'll take the headset off and I'll like sit down and have to write something or whatever. And my hand's shaking a little bit. Like there's, there's like residual nerves that are there uh, for a game seven or a Super Bowl or whatever it might be. So I, I'm going to feel a lot of those feelings uh, in a couple of Mondays when I'm sitting there in Seattle on September 12th, getting ready to do the Seahawks and the Broncos. And, and I, and like I said, with, with, with Hill, that's a good thing. Like that, that I think nerves kind of get you, it's like smelling salts and you, you're all of a sudden you're awake and you're, you're maybe trying out new things or working harder than you might have otherwise. And uh, I said the other day when we did a practice game and I said, I feel like I'm going to take every game like it's a Super Bowl, and with regard to how much information I'm putting down and, you know, it's a standalone night and I've got, I feel this pressure of justifying all this money that ESPN is paying me. And it's going to be a, going to be a, a weird but great feeling I know you're a, a media consumer in a lot of ways is is Monday night football and and you know I mean we we live now it's 2022 um you know there's brands like pardon my take that you know we didn't know what that what that was seven or eight years ago and it's you know taking the podcast world by storm right and there's Bill Simmons out there who basically started his own company right that sold and he does all of this stuff with so many people under him it's a different landscape than it was you know, when you were growing up and when I was growing up, but I can only imagine what it's going to feel like calling Monday night football. I, I almost think of an analogy like Colbert going to, you know, the late show, right? And, and you, you go, I'm going to go to late night and do this show that Letterman did, right? Or Conan's going to do the show that Leno did. Is there a level of that where you're going to a brand that is Monday night football where you're Joe Buck and you do as good a job as anybody that's ever done it before, but you're going to this brand and you can't believe you're in theory putting that jacket on. Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think the brand is bigger than us. Right. Um, but, but I'm way older than you. So I, I, I remember when Monday night football was quote unquote in its prime. I remember going, cause my dad did the Monday night football on radio with Hank Stram. I remember sitting in the booth with my dad in the radio booth, which was basically like a broom closet that they put wires into so they could do the game. And then looking two doors down and seeing Howard Cosell and Frank Gifford and Don Meredith and seeing the jackets and seeing the, 
the buzz of activity around them and, and, and thinking to myself as a little kid in the back of my dad's booth, like, yeah, what my dad's doing is really cool, but man, what's going on over there like that. (laughs) And then you get to a certain age and then it's, it's the transition to Al Michaels and Frank Gifford. And then our good friend, Dan Deardorff, who made his name in St. Louis and, and just knowing what that, property meant and that theme song that dun, 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 I mean it's iconic and so when that hits that's going to hit me that night like man here we go this is this is Monday night football but but I think the other side of it is things change I mean when I when I was a kid their TV baseball was not a big thing and unless you were playing for the Cubs or the Braves you weren't on TV every night. Now every game's on TV. So is the Fox Saturday game of the week special? Yeah, because it's a network broadcast and it's national guys and not the local guys, but it's not Vince Scully and Joe Gargiola coming in to talk about the Cardinals that, that I was rooting for as a little kid. And, and Monday night football's changed because the TV landscape is totally different now than it was in the seventies and the eighties and the nineties and even the early two thousands. So you know, there, there, there's a little bit of both there. I, I, and, and if we can, you know, try to bring it back to its glory days, great. I, I mean, I think that we, we are as, only as good as the schedule that the NFL gives us. Right. And the schedule is good. Um, hopefully it gets even better, and we'll have the ability to flex out of games next year. And I think it'll take on more of a big feel, maybe even more next year than this year. But I – I feel I feel the weight of doing Monday night football uh, like you would, as you said, if you were Conan doing the Tonight Show that Leno and Carson before him did, or your Colbert doing Letterman's old show, or whatever it might be. So yeah, there's there's the TV geek side of it that I'm totally into, and then there's the realistic side of it, like okay, it's we're it's not 1979 anymore. It's we're we're in a different world. No, we're not going to get mash numbers. Basically, is what you're saying. It's right. Not, yeah. It's a little yeah, bit of a different. It's a little different landscape yeah. now. But the only but thing it's still that king. perseveres. The only thing that, that is what it always was is the Super Bowl. Right. And so when these guy when writers write articles even about the World Series, you know it's it's it does it did an eight rating. Well, I mean, who wouldn't kill for an eight rating? But that's the lowest ever since you know. But but we're not it's it's apples and oranges except for the Super Bowl. So um, yeah, I, it's just a different world. How do you take on ratings as a broadcaster that does that big like that does the biggest games? I mean, are, are you do you pay attention to it? Is it a dated service at this point? It sure feels dated to me, I and agree. it doesn't feel like it's it doesn't feel like it's representative of the overall number of people who are actually watching these events. I mean, if you look at the golf ratings, you know, I, I, there's no way they're, they're what they purport them to be. I I feel like it's a much bigger audience that, that are actually watching these U S opens or masters or whatever, a British opens, whatever they might be. And I, and I know you're not supposed to say British open, but, you know, when you did the U.S. Open for five years, I felt like you had to differentiate the two. So <laughs> I think that's fair. Uh, I still say it occasionally. Yeah. I still throw it out there you just have to see to. if somebody I'm gets sorry. riled when up. You're you sitting know? there. You, I know people, the, the old school people. Okay, I got it. I got. It. I hear you loud and clear. Uh, but 
um, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't get wrapped up in it. I think I probably will fall into that trap a little bit this year because their ratings were actually really good last year and they were up at Monday night football. They were up everywhere. So I am going to feel like if we don't measure up ratings wise, uh, that it's on some level of failure and that's going to kill me. So um, I, I will pay attention to it way more than I ever have, because when I was at Fox, you do a, you know, our, our last NFC championship game was Rams and 49ers and 50 million people watched it. And and you're not going to get that kind of a rating on a Monday night. You're not going to get that kind of rating at ESPN. That's an NFC championship number that you're just only going to get doing the NFC championship. So I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm intelligent enough to understand that but I'm, I'm also emotional enough to probably uh, forget it when I'm looking at numbers when they come out. I asked you to do a little homework. I know you probably haven't read a ton about the NFL this year. It's not like that's o- the only thing you've been consuming for weeks on right, end. Right, exactly. But, uh, the, uh, what, are, what are three things? It, it's been a weird lead-in, I feel like, to the NFL season. Like, the Tom Brady news is kind of floating around, and then that's kind of been it. I mean, I know Aaron Rodgers, you know, in, in theory, kind of quote-unquote called out his receivers, but I feel like it hasn't buzzed as much as you expect at certain seasons so what are your three things that I, I asked you to put together three things you're kind of circling before we get the season going yeah I mean I, I started thinking about it and I, I was like good god I could give them 33 things <laughs> uh so I won't I will spare you that I I will save the personal one for last but I I think the AFC West is is unlike it's ever been and uh, you know, when we, we've got a bunch of AFC West games, which in the past schedule makers would kind of slough that off to somebody and you go, oh, great, the AFC West. But now when you think about the moves that uh, the Raiders made, when you think about how good Herbert is and they got Khalil Mack with the Chargers, um, you think about Denver Broncos getting Russell Wilson and everybody's been chasing the Kansas City Chiefs and they no longer have Tyreek Hill. I feel like that, you know, the Chiefs have to take some step back uh, with without Tyreek Hill, I would think. Um, so that that division is just so compelling and so good, and I'm I'm really glad we've got a bunch of AFC West matchups to do on Monday Night Football. Um, the other thing is is the NFC East. That's kind of where the money sits. It, 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 we were just talking about ratings. The money sits there um, for, in this case, Fox. It has the the, rate, the rights to cover the NFC. When you've got Dallas, which is by far, in a way, the number one ratings driver in, in the National Football League and therefore in television sports. Uh, and Philly is obviously a big market. New York is a big market. Washington's a big market. And, and, you know, they haven't had a repeat winner in that division in 17 years. And the Cowboys won it last year. Philly was a playoff team that everybody forgets. I, I think Philly's going to be a surprise team. People always go, what's a surprise team? I think Philly will be a surprise team if Jalen Hurts is, has made the progress that they, they say he has made. They're loaded. They've got a lot of talent. They made that trade for A.J. Brown. So I, I think they're going to be a lot better than people are thinking going into the season. And then the third thing that I thought about was just kind of this crazy announcer upheaval. And I'm excited for Kevin Burkhart genuinely because I, I consider him a really good friend for me to kind of get out of his way and, and let him ascend and see what he does at Fox uh, working with Greg Olson 
with that whole Tom Brady thing looming over that right. pairing. And, and, you know, he goes to the Fox booth whenever he's done. At least that's the plan. And then, you know, Al and Herb Street and Amazon and Troy and me. And then there's Nance and Romo sitting over there uh, just, just to see how that feels and see how that settles uh, with everybody. And I even mentioned Tariko taking over for Al on Sunday night. So it's, it's different presenters, uh, as they might say, across the Atlantic. And, uh, and we'll see how all that uh, is digested by the public. So I, I there, there's plenty to talk about, believe me. Yeah, what what is your kind of week-to-week, uh, I guess, homework consumption? I mean, are you reading most of the stuff that you're taking in? Are you listening to a lot of it? What's Joe Buck Homework 101? Just reading every day and reading. There's a, there's a service that has uh, about a page on every team. Um, the sports scan that I get that every morning now, uh, you know, I'm, I'm reading about every team because it's – there's so many. I, I just I don't remember a time, Shane, when there's more there's been more uh, injuries right. than what we see now. And a lot of soft tissue stuff. And, and every page of on every team is starts out with who's not playing, who's not practicing, who's not. I, it's just it's crazy. And, and so they're, they're not hitting so constant. It's like. I, you know, who's going to go on IR and who's, who's anybody going to be ready for the start of the season because they barely hit anymore in, in practice and in camp. And then you start pounding on each other with these guys being as big and as strong and as fast as they are. And the body's not ready. So you see all of these injuries, but it's, it's everyday reading and just trying to stay on top of it. I I'm, I'm scared to death to fall behind. Because if you start reading old stuff from Monday on Thursday, it may not be relevant anymore. Right. And you're going on old information. So you got to stay on it every day. And, and just reading kind of the broad sweeps of what's going on in the league, it's doable. Um, and then I, I kind of really concentrate on what we have the first month, which is Seahawks, Broncos. Um, it's Eagles, Vikings. It's Cowboys, Giants. Um, I, I did so many of those games uh, last year that it's not a huge jump to go now to a new season and go, okay, where were they a year ago? I know that. And what are they looking at going into this season? Uh, it, it's not that hard to, to kind of click it forward and, and be ready for at least the first month of the year. And then we'll see where it goes from there. I wanted to let you know about Cisco and the APGA Tour. Had a chance to go out to Baltusrol a few weeks ago and check out uh, the Cisco Invitational there for the APGA Tour and was just a big fan of everything they're doing. Cisco's partnered with the APGA Tour as part of an ongoing effort to promote a more inclusive and diverse sport of golf through enhanced playing opportunities, financial investments, and mentorship programs. And in fact, Cisco's corporate purpose is to power a more inclusive future for everybody. So very cool what they're doing, and they're committed to bringing that purpose to life and their involvement with the sport of golf. When you support people across a wide spectrum of diversity, it creates people that inspire others to follow their dreams. So not only are you doing good stuff for this generation, but you're doing great stuff for the next group of young people who are going to come out and impress us all. And this purpose aligns perfectly with the mission of the APGA, and it's a great place for them to have a positive impact. Through the partnership, Cisco's the primary supporter of two of the APGA's tours, 
marquee events, the Billy Horschel APGA Invitational that's held at TPC Sawgrass and that Cisco Invitational that I played in last week. Cisco also supports the new APGA Junior Series, a four-event initiative designed to promote the growth of the game and young people of diverse backgrounds. In addition to all that, Cisco supports five APGA Tour players as part of their large and diverse roster of brand ambassadors. And you can listen to a podcast we just did. Aaron Beverly and Kamayu Johnson was on it. Give that a listen a couple episodes ago. You'll be a big fan of that. And to learn more about the APGA and Cisco's involvement, check out my interviews, as I mentioned, right here on the Gooder Rip feed. I think you'll enjoy it. Love what Cisco's doing and what they're doing with the APGA. All right, the biggest question of the podcast, Joe. What's the Joe Buck handicap number right now? What's where are we oh, sitting? It's going what we, up. What are we sitting God. at? Thank God it's going up. What did it get uh, down to? Uh, you know, like index wise, like a one point something. Jeez. Um, but but it's now it's now roughly two point eight. Um, but going up, I, I, I have found that the system is really easy to get your handicap down. Yes. It's really hard to get your <laughs> handicap up. It's a hot, it's uh, impossible. I, I truly don't understand how to go the other way. I, I shot 68 the other day playing in Florida and well, I'm you're, screwed. You're I'm, I got sunk. no chance. I'm done. I'm done for you the rest no of the chance. year. Yep. That's it. The, the computer's going, if this guy's good enough to shoot 68, <laughs> he's going to be a plus the, for the rest of his you know, adulthood. So I, I, uh, I, I, I don't know. I I'm, I'm changing a lot of things. Like I, I always am when you and I talk, it's funny that your podcast is get a grip because my grip is changing, which is something I've always fought, but I'm finally going to a stronger right hand and, and kind of wrapping my index finger. I used to have my index finger off the club, which was everybody's like, you got to get that finger on there. And I'm finally breaking down and doing that, which has made me feel a little bit more powerful. So, uh, you know, when 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 we were working with Azinger and I talk about it, I'm like, everybody wants me to get a strong right hand. And I just feel so much better with my hand on top of the club. And he's like, no, don't mess with your grip. That's your fingerprint. That's your fingerprint. Your grip is your grip. And, and I'm starting to disagree. I, I feel like I've got a better path to the ball with a stronger right hand and my index finger on the grip so i'm going with that until further uh notifications and we'll see if that gets me uh playing to what my handicap says i should be playing like did you play anywhere sweet this year that you've never played before or maybe you haven't seen in a long time that uh maybe kind of like you know blew your hat off no in fact that's the worst thing about no longer doing golf with you and so much less golf on in. the road. Golly, oh my I'm with God, you. I play nothing. I play no golf on the road anymore. And you and I, and then Clat for a while, we got on places that I'd never heard of. That were some of the coolest places that I've ever played. So, uh, yeah, a lot of them are in the Northeast. And uh, I miss getting up there and finding these unbelievable places that I never knew existed. So I, I got nothing on that. I played pretty well in Tahoe the final day. I, I stopped three-putting and scored well. I beat a lot of people that I really wanted to beat. So uh, that was good. But other than that, uh, you know, not a, lot of, not a lot of great golf. Who's number one on your list there when you get to Tahoe that you circle and go, I got to beat this person? Well, Millar. And I, he yeah. was way ahead of me after day one. And I got him uh, by the end of day three. Brett Bear of Fox yep. News, because uh, I played with him at the end of the uh, on the final day last year, 
and he smoked me, and then I got him this year, which made me really happy. Uh, <laughs> and then a lot of, you know, like the Chase Utleys of the world and Jason Worth and people that are good athletes that are pretty good golfers that, you know, me, Mr. Non-Athlete, uh, finished ahead of that. That made me feel good for about five seconds. Uh, I did want to ask about what you guys did with the PGA show, you and Collins. I thought it was really cool, uh, PGA Championship Week. I mean, I, I loved the the idea. I thought it was really creative. I know you guys had some unique guests, and I thought it was really smart on who you booked. Uh, is that something going forward that you want to continue to do? And also, will we be seeing Joe Buck in and around some sort of Masters broadcast? I don't know. You know, initially when I was doing that deal with ESPN, they wanted to do that, whatever you want to call it, mega cast, Manning cast, whatever you want to call it, uh, at the masters. And I was like, hell yes. Like get me down there in an official capacity. I'm in. And then sign me up. I want a badge. Yeah, exactly. And the master's like, Nope. Nice try. Uh, but I think they used ESPN. It was trying to use that PGA championship mega cast is kind of a, here you go. We're not going to do stupid stuff. We're going to make it real and, and have it be fun. And it's not going to be distasteful or disrespectful to the game of golf. So hopefully, hopefully that, you know, allows the powers that be that are so powerful at Augusta go, okay, yeah, let's, let's try that. I don't know that I would ever do four hours again, four straight days of being on camera for four straight hours. Right. I, I'm not a huge fan of that. Uh, I would rather just be heard and not seen, but Michael Collins, when, when, uh, when they came to me, I was like, there's only one guy I want to do this with. And he was the guy because I felt like he could carry it and, and know some, you know, you would be another guy if, 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 because you have a working knowledge of player caddy history, both long-term and recent history. I went into that thing. I did about 10 minutes of research and then I just went in there. I was like, the worst thing I can do is try to make this a golf broadcast. I'm going to go in there and just try to have fun. And that's, so I fought the urge to overdo it, and and it was it was a blast. I loved it, and I loved working with Michael. He could not be a better guy. So I would do it again. I I just I'd do it for maybe two hours a day, not four. Is is there? I'm sure you get this question a lot. I think you and I've had this conversation before. Um, and I was trying to write down some stuff that I think maybe would be on the broadcasting bucket list of Joe Buck that maybe you either are never going to do at this point in your life or you never have done. I'm assuming you haven't been involved in the Olympics before, and I'm assuming you probably haven't done Wimbledon or the Masters. Is there something atop the list of broadcasting sports you haven't done that you would love to circle or scratch off at some point in the next 10 years? The short answer to that is no. Okay. I, I don't have anything that I'm like, oh my god, I would, I, I'm dying to. I mean, do you got that. in the Hall of Fame, like you're good at this point. Like they already, they already let you in, you know. I'm, I'm just, I'm, <laughs> I'm aware enough to go. I've done way more than I ever thought I would. I'm not yearning to do anything else. But I will say, of the three things you mentioned, uh, having done golf, having played at Augusta National, you know, we all know you know, so much of your research, I would imagine is taken off the board because you know, the golf course, right. like you can, you can, you can see a shot on the monitor or on your TV at home and go, Oh, that's, 
10 or, oh, you know, oh, that's uh, now they're an amen corner. You don't need anybody to go, okay, now they're at 12. I mean, you know what that looks like. So uh, that that would be just a blast to do. Um, But I don't think unless I outlive Jim Nance, switch networks again and, uh, uh, you know, the the Nile changes the direction it flows. uh, I don't think I'll ever be doing that. That makes sense. How weird has it been to follow along kind of what's going on on in golf this season, you know, just kind of as a fan? Oh, man. It's been like, have Especially, you been into it or not? Totally into okay. it. Uh, because I, I, I come at it with, with friendships, you know, not, not to your degree, but I, I, come, I come at it with friendships on so many sides of that right. thing. And, and I've seen, you know, I'm really good friends with Pat Perez, and I, I know why – and why he went um and he was very honest about it i mean when he was playing here i'm sitting in st louis at the at the pga championship and and i was spending evenings with him after he got off the course like i you know i'm at the time he was what 42 43 years old now he's 46 years old he's not by his own admission he's like i'm i'm not in a position to win much anymore um and so he's got guaranteed money toward the end of his, you know, at least his PGA tour career before the, the champion stuff would start. So I get it from his perspective. You know, we, we both know Greg Norman very well. Um, and, and you know, what kind of drive he has right. and, and, no, you know, nobody's going to tell him, you know, you can't do that. He's going to go even harder, which we've seen. And then you see, you know, I'm, I'm friends with, with JT and, and, and I talked to him uh, a bit about it and, you know, I, I, so I see, I've, I've seen it. I've watched this thing unfold. You know, I know you're dear friends with Max and, and uh, you know, he, he's not a guy that's, that's made that jump. So I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I was one of these guys that was asked to perform physically for my living it, I, 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 it's hard for me to throw stones when I can't say exactly what I would do. Um, if I was really, if I was JT, I do exactly what he's doing. Right, I, there's right. no reason to go, but there are, there, there are not a lot of those guys around. And so these guys are all trying to make a living and somebody flashes that kind of cash in front of you. It's, it's hard. It would be hard to say no. Joe, that was way too logical of a take on this. Um, you need to yell a little louder on one side or the other, you know. I mean, that's kind of been the process this year. It's just scream, you know, pro this, pro that. It's you know, you're you're taking way too much logic in this, and uh, and the golf fans are going to be really upset about that because uh, yeah, I know so much I, yelling I, I, on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, Twitter is is you know, it never fails to to <laughs> amaze, and it never disappoints. But I, I think you know, if everybody that has a harsh take on this one way or the other were to be confronted with these same decisions to make personally, um, instead of, you know, sniping from the balcony, I, I don't know that, that everybody would have the same would, you know, in practicality, uh, have the same, uh, take that, that they may otherwise have on Twitter. I, I wanted to ask, you know, your relationship with social media has been an interesting, interesting one. I know there's been times when you've been into it. I know there's been times when it's been, you know, something not even involved in your life. Where are you at now with Twitter, Instagram, kind of the world of social media? Are you do you do you kind of keep one eye on it, or is it not really a big part of what you're doing? 
Yeah, it's not a huge part. I mean, I'll, I'll get a wild hair and I'll, I'll tweet something every once in a while if I think it's funny or if I think it's, you know, even if it's something personal like, you know, uh, whether it's the boys going to their first day of school or whatever it might be. But I, I'm more into it on the, like, the private side. Yeah. Like, you follow me on my private Instagram. Your burner, yeah. Yeah, my burner, <laughs> uh, which is the one that I that I enjoy. I enjoy that. But but I have I have boundaries there. And then there's the public stuff, which can be really really nice, or can be really really mean spirited, and 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 some of that stuff starts to seep in. So it's it's like you got to be careful, I think, of of how much time you spend on that. And, uh, you know, I, I'll concentrate on, on my Instagram account that's private and, and pump some stuff out to the public one to promote, you know, my podcast or talk about ESPN or whatever it might be. But I don't really go there much after I post and start taking the temperature of what people think about what I put up because it's, you know, I'd rather rely on my friends and people I know on my private account and, and that should override the uh, the randoms that that have nasty things to say. Um, although sometimes I take the bait and I start sparring with people I, I wouldn't let in my front door. <laughs> it's just the best. It, you know the the mute function. I mean, we don't praise social much, but the fact that you can mute someone so they don't know you muted them, but then they just keep yelling in the you know in the in the, in the nonsense black hole that they I live see, in. I didn't even know you could oh, do that. Oh, Joe, come on! This would change your entire existence on the platform because if you block them, then they know that you annoyed them, like they accomplished the goal. But if you mute them, they just keep yelling at you, Joe. You're a homer. But then Joe, that you... that requires me to do a step to go find out who's saying the meanest stuff Correct. so that I then could mute them. So I, that, that's, yeah. I mean, if I come across it now, I know, are we talking about Twitter in this case? Yeah. Yeah. You can, you can, I think you could do it on, I think you can do it on Instagram as well. I don't know, but I know you can do it on Twitter. Okay. Well now, if I, if I happen to come across the, you suck, you have a huge head, <laughs> you're lucky you had a famous dad person and I hate you, then I'll mute them going forward. Uh, but I'm not going to go looking for it. No, don't, don't, don't do that. All right, last question. Uh, you have been, I'd say this is fair to say, I bet you've been accused of being a fan of every baseball team in the MLB. Is that fair to say? People said you're a, oh, you're a huge Cardinals fan. You're because, a huge Yankee fan. You're a huge Cubs think, fan. They right. think I hate their team. Cor- correct, correct. Therefore, I am a fan of the other, other team. Other team, right. Agreed. So right. now that you don't do baseball anymore, are you actually going to become a fan of a team in baseball? Well, I've found myself actually, you know, obviously I'm, my dad's face is on the outfield wall of, of right. you know, Bush Stadium. Hard to so, ignore. <laughs> yeah, and, and they're a part of my DNA. That's, that's how I grew up, and that's how I learned about the sport. That's how I learned how to broadcast. I went down there the other night. Um, with my family and the boys got a chance to, my little boys got a chance to run around on the warning track and my brother-in-law threw out the first pitch. And it's a long involved story. Why any of that happened? It had to do with my uh, wife's father passing away and him being a a huge fan of Nolan Arenado. But yeah, I've I've found myself watching as a fan now more Cardinal games because I actually like this Cardinal team. There've been other years where the team's been so bad to me and so boring this is not that team. You know, you got Pujols, who's found the fountain of youth. 
Molina's on his way out. Uh, Wayne Wright's a 40-year-old front end of the rotation pitcher somehow still. So I actually enjoy watching, and they've got some good young players too. Uh, I've watched this Cardinal team and I've enjoyed it. So therefore, I've watched more as a fan than maybe I ever have. Um, but as far as like getting wrapped up in it and it affecting my day like it used to when I was a kid, um, no, I'm I'm a long way past that. That's a good place for me to be. That is a good place, and uh, excited for you to be at ESPN. Really excited for Monday Night Football. Um, that's exciting. You're two weeks away, two weeks from getting going. Uh, I don't know if the Jackets are going to make a return, but I'm excited about whatever happens. I think you're the best out there. I've always appreciated your time when we do this. Uh, check out Joe's podcast, too, Daddy Issues, right? And uh, you guys right. do that how often? Well, we've been on a little summer break, so we're about to crank it back up again. Um, we've had great guests. We're actually in talks to maybe make it more than a podcast. So uh, I don't know. We'll see that. It could be the reason why I've done this ridiculous podcast for two years, but, <laughs> but I'm, I'm teasing something I can't follow through on yet. So I'm just going to leave it at that, but it is called daddy issues. I do with the Oliver Hudson. And we talk about being dads, which is how you and I started this podcast. So the whole thing's come full circle. It's always a go-to for men, especially men over the age of about 30, if you want to talk about something. Everybody always brings up weather, but it's really just parenting. I mean, I, I was in the gym at the Open, and Jordan Spieth was the only person in there. And you know what we inevitably talked about, Joe? Our kids, because it's like such an easy conversation starter. And everybody, no matter how famous you are or you know how lowly you are in the, in the theoretical totem pole, Everybody is a, you know, is a dad if you're a dad and you have conversations about being that and it's always fun. But I appreciate the time. Looking forward to uh, to a couple of Mondays from now. Anytime. Thank you very much. Thanks, Joe. A big thanks to Joe for jumping on. Uh, always enjoy getting a chance to chat with him. Uh, big thanks to you guys for listening. Like I said, make sure you're following the Grounded to Repair Instagram account at gur.design. You can follow me on social as well at Shane Bacon. I mean, you can follow me. You don't have to follow me. I don't really care either way. Uh, we'll check back with you guys next week. I got something fun with Claire that we're working on to kind of wrap up the season. Um, I'm going to be doing the U.S. Senior Women's Open over the weekend. That's on Peacock and tape delayed on Golf Channel later in the evening. So tune into that. Uh, I'm rooting. I don't want to say I'm rooting because I'm not supposed to be rooting, but I wouldn't mind seeing Julie Inkster pull it out. If uh, Julie Inkster does win a Senior Open at some point, It'll be Jack, Arnie, and Julie as the only players that have won an amateur, an open, and a senior open. So she's been so close, finished second a couple times. Uh, like I said, that's on Peacock Live over the weekend and tape delayed on Golf Channel. So that's where I'll be Saturday and Sunday. And, uh, again, thanks so much for listening. Check with you guys next week. Get a Grip with Shane Bacon is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.